Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And I'm also Andrew. We're going to call him Andy. Hello, I'm Andy. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you for joining us, Andy, um, for this very special episode that we're doing right now. My pleasure. Uh, you've flown in specifically for this. You've taken a trip from the UK over just to have this discussion that we're having right now. Literally just this. It's Only an Andy th- Mellowish too. Yeah. It's like Mellowish Nights. <laughs> 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 The comeback. Yeah. <laughs> Andy Mellowish 2. The Revenge. Nice. Mellowish yeah. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> um, but yes, so we, uh, we're kind of talking about what we'd like to cover. And in fact, it, this was very well organized and very much organized in advance. So we had a bit of a conversation amongst ourselves about what we would like to sort of see. And kind of some themes began to emerge as we talked about the films that we wanted to discuss. I think you suggested House of the Dead, uh, which we had ironically already discussed with Ethan and Jer. And I think that you also mentioned maybe uh, The Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. Nicholas Cage. So, that not quite being an option, because it's not quite Halloween or whatever, I took it upon myself to look at those suggestions that you've given me and say, what is the movie on the bottom 100 that most, it's so most specifically tailored to Andy's taste in bad mm, movies? Yeah, you, you really got those two, uh, the, the <laughs> Venn diagrams of the cage and the horror, but... Was it, after all? This is a question we're going to have to answer. So yes, we talked about the 2014 version of Left Behind, directed by stuntman Vic Armstrong, starring Nicholas... Yeah, oh, you you don't know this, yeah? Oh, they're... they're, they're, they're... (laughs) This is a remake slash reboot of the franchise. This is a franchise restarter. Oh. Franchise? Oh, yeah. Was there a... How 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 many were there? Was there like a kind of a forties Jimmy Stewart version uh, of this? Version of this. Yeah, you imagine that they wanted to cast Tom Hanks was their first choice for the yeah. role of Captain Raymond Steele. See, Keen, um, Captain Steele. <laughs> Captain Steele. Keen keen-eared listeners will think that I brought up Jimmy Stewart just to do a bad Jimmy Stewart impression, but I'm not going to. <laughs> That's it. We still keep listeners on their toes, even yeah. this long into the podcast. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so actually this is, yes, this is a franchise reboot of the Left Behind series, which is based on the Evangelical Christian series of books, which launched in 1995. Um, it has become a miniature franchise all onto itself, all onto itself, since the eighth book, which was published in 2000 and, sorry, 2000 actually. Mm. And so since the eighth book, which was published... So this is part of our Summer of 99 series. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It was based on... Which is continuing perpetually uh, (laughs) because the book was published in 1995. But yeah, so basically, these are based on a series of books uh, which are written by um, two authors, uh, Barry Jenkins and... The book's good? (laughs) Barry, Barry Jenkins... I know not, that not name. Not Moonlight. Not the, no. not the Mary Jane yeah. responsible for Not Moonlight. that one. <laughs> um, and by uh, Tony LaHaye uh, is the other guy who writes them. And actually what happens is it's uh, Jenkins who writes all the prose. <laughs> I thought it was like they write every second word. <laughs> uh, they alternate. This like how we podcast. <laughs> uh, but apparently the way that it works is LaHaye writes all of the, or wrote, because I think that Jenkins has passed away. But LaHaye wrote all the prose and he sent it off to Jenkins as a scholar in prophecy and Jenkins would go through it 
And he'd basically highlight and sort of like find a way to tie it all back to scripture and make sure there was nothing in there that was sacrilegious. More or... girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically the first book was published in 1995. It became a sort of breakout hit among evangelical Christians. Uh, it was recommended in congregation reading lists. It was very circulated in terms of the community. By 2000, when they're releasing the eighth book in the series. It was, it was... A, was it a smash hit? It was a smash it eighth time it's, around. A, it, it was a smash it. It, it, it was a, sh- a smash it. Sh- it. I uh-huh. get it. I see what you did there. I um, don't know. Keep it clean, Quinn. Yeah, yeah it's late. I said smash it. Um, but the eighth, the eighth book, uh, which is called The Indwelling, The Beast Takes Possession, Whoa. <laughs> sold 17 million copies in the United States in 2000, which was only 3 million less than the Harry Potter books. Whoa. And found it vying for the top spot with Hannibal, written by Thomas Harris. So, wow. yeah. Books, the sales ballooned after 9-11 as well, uh, sort of hit the stratosphere. There was, I mentioned this was the second version film adaptation. There was the first adaptation which was released in 2000, starring Kirk Cameron. Oh, of course. Yeah. Kirk Cameron from... Um, Kirk Cameron's Burning and Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas. And uh, yeah. yeah. He was in one of those kind of... Fireproof, um, sorry. Not, not Burning. One of those kind of 80s or 90s uh, sitcoms, wasn't he? He was. Which, um, with uh, uh, Facts of Life, right? Yeah, I think it was. It was something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, so, so Kirk Cameron's movie there, that, that was direct-to-video. There was a trilogy of films that went direct-to-video, which managed to eventually involve Oscar-winning actor Lou Gossett Jr. playing President Fitzhugh, <laughs> who at one stage in the movie abducts Kirk Cameron's journalist. Kirk Cameron plays journalist. Was it Buck? What's, what's the... Steel. Oh. <laughs> no, it's not. No, everyone's Buck, Buck name is Steel. Buck Williams. Yes. He has another name, but he's, he's he goes not, by Buck. He goes by Buck. His name is Buck, and he's here to have consensual, respectful relations with your daughter in the sanctity of matrimony. Um, but yes, so basically, there's. A I secret... can see why you'd want to. <laughs> but this is a, this. We'll get to that in a moment, Wait, Andrew. Like, are you telling me the film we just saw did not go straight to? No, no, this this went to this got a theatrical release. Wow, okay, um, this is bigger than Harry Potter. <laughs> only so <laughs> not, were you not listening to Darren? Only, said bigger than Harry Potter. I did not say. I said so. <laughs> only three million copies less than Harry Potter. Bigger, bigger than, than Harry Potter. Potter. Just shows, just shows you that like the kids aren't into Satan as much as you think. <laughs> not quite as much as you think. Still too much, but not quite enough. Um, but yeah, um, basically what, what happened is this movie was released. So basically, um, there was a boom in evangelical filmmaking, um, largely prompted by the success of The Passion of Christ. Sorry, <laughs> The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> that took a turn. Um, but yeah, so... The Imagine su- 9-11 at some point there. <laughs> Just, uh, like every now and then you go off kind of like on, on what seems like, like a page <laughs> Oh, but it's like, did he say 9-11 at some point? <laughs> I, like, I, I do like that your attempts to engage. You're, you're kind of very much like the, the Captain yeah. Ray steel of co-hosts. It made, it's like you're kind of there, but you're not really. It made three million less than... 9 uh, 9-11. 9-11. It was produced by reverse vampires. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so basically what happened is the success of movies like The Bash of the Christ... Which mm. earned three hundred and sixty odd million in the states and two hundred forty one million internationally, 
um, prompted the idea that gave Hollywood the idea that these movies were sort of viable, that it was possible to appeal to Christian audiences. And, uh, and like like that crazy idea that female-led superhero films could be successful. Yeah, or, or minority-led films. Ara- or... uh, Aramaic movies. <laughs> yeah, movies in Aramaic and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so, so basically... Mel Gibson is base... viable. <laughs> yeah. Base movies. Um, but yeah, so basically what happened is in 2014, there was a boom in these movies. So to give you a, a sample of what was happening in faith-based movies in 2014, which was Please. when when this was released. This is where people go. Yeah. So in February, saw the release of Son of God. March, saw the release of God's Not Dead and Noah. Heaven is for Real came out in April. Mom's Night Out I, I've heard of God's Not Dead. Is that the I've original God's Not yeah. Dead? Yeah, the one starring Kevin Sorbo. Yes. Are you, Andy, are you familiar with Pure Flix's God's Not Dead? Pure Flix is the production company, by the way. It's Melissa Joan uh, Hart. That's I mean, two. I mean, ah. I, I know of them. Okay. Am I familiar with them? I don't know. Is anyone ever really familiar with it? But in, in July, saw the release of Persecuted. Um, the Song and Believe Me came out in September. Saving Christmas, which is also on the bottom 100, came out in November. Oh, Kirk Cameron Saving Kirk Christmas. Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas. And then Left Behind, perhaps the crown jewel of the year, which we'll discuss in a moment, came out in October. So yeah, it was quite the year. Quite a year for God. Yeah. Um, God's Not Dead grossed $60 million. What does God think of movies? I did... I did, I did, 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 um, isn't it a thing where like some some believers will 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 not watch television, um, uh, not watch movies, or is it just that most <laughs> television and movies are um, uh, for heathens? Well, that, that's the thing is, there's actually a debate that takes place inside the evangelical or sort of inside the kind of Christian cinema going school in in America at the moment, where there are arguably three schools of. Uh, christian-based movies that have like they've been trying to release right first one is the straight up biblical adaptations they're the ones you know they're the ones like the passion of the christ pick an example oh, exodus gods and kings noah moses yeah the ones from the 50s so like yeah. the ten commandments ben-hur that sort of stuff oh it's but even, ten commandments yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. even even more recently you had films like um even more recently you had films like the remake of ben-hur for example and even Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, but even the one where Ewan McGregor played Jesus Christ. Oh, or, yeah. It was yeah. Charlton Heston and Ben-Hur. What am I talking yeah. about? He was also in The Ten Commandments. Oh, was he? McGregor yeah. played Jesus? Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie. I don't have it to hand. But yes, he did. Also, Joaquin Phoenix played Jesus oh, in yeah. Mary Magdalene uh, with Rooney Mara. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, that's one school of Christian movies that are kind of big at the moment. Yeah, God's coming back. Back in a big way. Mm. The second school of Christian movies, and this is kind of an, a vaguely Uh-oh. interesting one. Um, is the school that is kind of forefronted by, and I'll find, I'll dig out the name here because he's actually a fascinating sort of movie. He's a, Devon uh, Franklin, who interned with Will Smith during the late 90s. He is now a practicing minister, although he does not have a congregation. And he actually set up at... What does that uh, mean? It means that he preaches, but he tours, apparently. So he'll visit, oh. like, he'll sort of like go to churches, but are not his own. It's tr- not he that have- the movies are his ministry. <laughs> I think that may also like, be the case. Yeah, yeah. like like with um, what's his name, um, the uh, uh, won't you be my neighbor? Oh, Mister Mr. Rogers. Mister Rogers. Yeah. yeah, he was a minister. Yeah, 
Okay. And the show, the television show, was 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 his version of ministry. Okay. To children. What about um? I, I can't remember. Al Green. <laughs> no, you've just like blown my mind with this whole Mister Rogers thing. Like, yeah. Continue. Um. But yeah. So and Devon Frank, who's basically he adopts, he's set up shop at Sony, and he's actually moved over to Fox um, since the Sony hack and the, the departure of Pascal. But he's offering a more inclusive idea of a faith-based blockbuster. So he's responsible for pushing movies like, for example, Heaven is Real, uh, which stars Greg Kinnear, to pick an example. Uh, but he's also responsible for uh, Breakthrough, uh, which actually got a cinema release in Ireland um, a couple of months ago, and stars people like... Uh, first of all, it stars Chrissy Metz from This Is Us, it also stars Mike Coulter from Luke Cage, but Topher Grace is in it. Topher Grace. <laughs> yes, Topher. Hollywood's Topher Grace <laughs> is in Breakthrough, which is about a the Topher Super. Grace. All right, but the idea is that Franklin argues for a very inclusive idea of what Christian movies are. He would argue that the pursuit of happiness, uh, which he worked on with Will Smith, is a oh. Christian movie in that sense. In that he thinks that it, it's a, it gets the message out there in the world and is sort of like hopeful, optimistic, and espouses Christian values without necessarily being explicitly in inverted commas evangelical or sort of uh, you know, sort of uh, didactic in that sense. So what sort of internship does Will Smith offer <laughs> and how can we apply? Yeah, you think you got some projects you want to push? Do you think well? Will Smith would be comfortable doing a Christian movie? Yes, that is a, that is a very interesting question. Um, given his thoughts on was it After Earth? Is right. That his, yes, that was that was Will Smith's idea of an evangelical movie. Well, no, wasn't wasn't his son in in some kind of um, other? Oh no, yeah, you're right, you're right. After Earth, I'm thinking of Battlefield Earth. Yes, that's yeah. that's the John other John Travolta evangelical movie. But yes. for an int- yeah, they're. By the way, they're evangelical for a is different Is that the religion. third strand? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that you were going to go into? The other type of movies are Scientology movies. <laughs> and most of them are Scientology movies. Um, but no, the third strand of movies are what... I think it's Alyssa uh, Wilkinson uh, who's written about them. She's She was a film critic for Christianity Today. She's written for uh, BuzzFeed. And she's also written for Vox. And she's okay. sort of she's mm. she's an evangelical herself, yeah. So she's got she's got a very very perspective. But her argument is that the third school of movies are persecution movies, is how she describes them, and they're the Kirk Cameron style movies. Which because there was a movie called Persecution in, in the one that I listed there, <laughs> and also one with Kirk Cameron. <laughs> yeah, and sort of so brings the two together. Ah. But yeah, the idea is that these movies are movies that are aimed at an evangelical crowd but not necessarily aimed at espousing particularly Christian values so much as reinforcing the idea that, well, you're right and everybody else is going to All burn right. in hell. So it's not actually to evangelize. Yes. W- would an example not... of that be that film where Arnold Schwarzenegger has a shotgun and has to beat up the devil? Oh, Stigmata, not Stigmata, sorry, the, the, um, with Gabriel Byrne. What was it called? No, Gabriel Byrne was in Stigmata. Yes, and, and he was also the devil in End of Days. End, End of, of days. days. Yes. Thank you for the prompt there. But uh, yeah, I don't know it would be quite like that because I imagine that, you know, he'd need to be delivering more sermon while punching the he devil. He was delivering a sermon with a shotgun. And his fists. Um, funny you should mention Schwarzenegger, though, because that's a nice segue. You should mention shotguns. We'll talk about <laughs> them later. <laughs> Because you know the director of this movie, Vic Armstrong? 
No. He's not really a director. He's not, he doesn't necessarily He's a stuntman. He is a stuntman who has worked with people like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sly Stallone. And in fact, you know. And a hairdresser. I thought you were going to say, he's a shotgun. <laughs> but you know, um, do you know how Nicolas Cage apparently Shotgun ended up in this movie? Um, it's because Vic Arms, according to, to listen to, to Nick Cage tell the story of how he ended up in this movie. He'd worked with Armstrong as a stuntman on Season of the Witch. Mm, ah. Armstrong pitched him on this movie. <sighs> what and a pitch that must have been. Cage was like, yes. Two things. First of all, are you going to pay me? <laughs> <laughs> and reportedly, of the $16 million budget for this movie, $3 million of those $16 million went to Cage. Lucky Cage. Who apparently only spent 10 days of the six-week shoot actually filming this. Most of it was just B-roll of him sitting in the in the cockpit. In the cockpit. He's a big spender, Cage, isn't he? Yes, I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, Cage is currently $150 million in debt to the IRS. Wow. Um, what? Hey, Cage- it's funny how it works there in the States. I don't blame them. Because here, like, we never get to see our money before they take tax off it. <laughs> there it's like oh yeah remember all that money you get, that you got you have to pay tax on it like i don't have it anymore spend it <laughs> spend it all on sweets <laughs> what, what, what do you want sweets that's what we're calling them um they're not tax deductible andy <laughs> uh, andy is um is is talking about wigs <laughs> on, on, on cage treats <laughs> but so yeah so do you, want, do you want to know what he spent some of that 150 wigs. million dollars on not wigs, unfortunately. Um, first thing, well, one of the big things that he spent it on was a dinosaur skull. It's three million less he, than Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> he bought a. They, 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 they would, they would have broken even with with if Cage with, had just with spent Harry, Harry Potter if they hadn't taken on uh, Nicholas Nick Cage. Cage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Cage spent and again three hundred thousand uh, dollars. On a dinosaur skull. Um, <laughs> oh, it's great. He outbid Leonardo. Which one? He outbid Leonardo DiCaprio for it. <laughs> it. It gets better. Apparently, no sooner had Cage um, handed over and completed the transaction, then the Mongolian authorities showed up, said that the skull had actually been like smuggled out of Mongolia and stolen and they'd have to take it back into custody. And by the way, no takesy-backsies on the money you paid for it. Is this national treasure? It's the <laughs> best story I've ever heard. Did he spend the rest of the money on the surgery to finally make him look identical to John Cusack? <laughs> Did no one else see that? They're the same person now. They, well, no, I've seen them in the Frozen... I've seen them in the same video-on-demand movie, so I know they can't be, unless that's just Nicolas Cage's scheme. They're both scheme in Con, Air. They're both in con Air, <laughs> yeah. but maybe there's just one of them. Yeah. That's another Nicolas Cage tax dodge. He wants to be, <laughs> be paid as both Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. He took his face off, <laughs> photocopied it. And put it on um, John Cusack. <laughs> but yeah, so... <laughs> The dinosaur skull is in there for some reason. Like that's where he keeps his spare faces. Um, but yes. So, in terms of other famous bad investments made by Cage, and this is fascinating, even by the standards of Cage. Is Leo DiCaprio just bidding to kind of up, <laughs> up, up the, the price? price. <laughs> 
And then he saw like the Mongolian authorities coming in and he was like, I mean, before this turns into too much of a hatchet job on Cage, what was DiCaprio's interest in this item? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit old for him to be dating it, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. What we're saying is Leonardo DiCaprio dates women who are younger than dinosaurs. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Um, But anyway. (laughs) So apparently... Dinosaurs are a bit old for most of us, (laughs) though, in fairness. But Cage spent most of his money, invested most of his money in property, uh, which obviously became a problem in 2008. Some of Cage's property deals are fascinating. But this is in 2014, right? Yeah. This this is so, yeah. This is after he's lost all his money and desperately needs to get it back. Um, So, yeah. So the... Some of the properties that he bought, he bought... The Most Haunted House in America, uh, which is a very Nick Cage purchase. Um, He also bought a Newport Beach mansion, which he only apparently slept in a couple of times. He never slept in it again after he woke up, and this is a direct quote, to find a super fan wearing his own leather jacket and nothing else while sucking on a popsicle in bed beside him. (laughs) It's like... I pay you to leave. <laughs> it's like, uh, like Nicholas Cage. Yeah, Three hundred thousand dollars. Nicholas Cage. So after the authority, after the IRS swooped in in two thousand and nine and reclaimed a lot of his property, he did maintain some eccentric spending. Among his most eccentric spending post two thousand and nine, he likes cars too, right? He does, and comics. He bought the original action comics for ninety five thousand dollars. Named his son Kellel Cage. Um, <laughs> what? What? You, you didn't no, know? No, I did not notice. Okay, um, but yeah. So uh, one of his more eccentric recent purchases is he bought a tomb uh, in the local cemetery. <laughs> in- it's already good <laughs> in New Orleans, right? It's shaped like a giant pyramid. It has just several words in Latin, in Latin written on it and a blank space where his name will go when he's married. The, sorry, when he's dead, when he's deceased. There are two interesting pieces of local trivia about this. The first is that it's already become a local custom for people to walk up and leave lipstick prints on the tomb. Apparently the janitor at the cemetery has to clean them off almost every morning. The second piece of trivia is the rumor around town that Cage believes that he's cursed because he bought the most haunted house in America. <laughs> so the only way that he could think of to escape that curse... Is buy a dinosaur head. <laughs> when, when that didn't work. <laughs> to buy a tomb in the cemetery that is placed next to Maria Laveau, who was a local voodoo sort of shaman figure who was regarded as one of the best magicians in the history of the United States. And he hoped that by entombing himself next to her, he would be able to escape the curse. His business manager is, he's like, okay, Nicholas, I know you're very worried about that haunted mansion that I told you to buy, <laughs> but I have, I have a plan that's going to get you out of this. It's a scheme. It involves a pyramid. And but it's not a going to New Orleans. <laughs> Well, actually, it's interesting. And again, bring this all full circle. All this was shot in New Orleans, actually. All of uh, Left Of course. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever feel like any of it was in New York? That was definitely in New York. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you'd say otherwise. Yeah. It, I don't know. The, the street scenes had the same kind of level of detail as the that one street from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I thought. <laughs> 
Really, New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, one suspects that was part of Nobody the deal of getting was, Cage. Uh, yeah, because like, Cage was like, I'm, I want to, I want to work from home. Yeah, I, the my, most haunted home in America. My home being. I need some pyramid now. <laughs> A tomb. The, thank the, you very much. The reason uh, everyone seemed so aggro was because it was obviously in some kind of uh, sparse um, suburban um, America. Not like if it was in New York and they were like all crashing into each other and like <laughs> angry and shouting and stuff. And Nobody would know anything no. was wrong in just a regular day. I suppose not. Um, it is worth noting that since Cage, uh, since basically since the IRS closed down on Cage and since the property crash, Cage has found himself forced to take roles that are perhaps not up to the caliber that one might expect from an Oscar-winning actor who headlined three of the biggest summer blockbusters of the 90s in two consecutive summers. So, Cage has taken to doing... Initially, actually, to be fair... Con Air, The Rock. Con Air, The Rock, and Face Off. And Face Off. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but the thing is, Cage, is, mm. Cage initially uh, tried to limit the damage to his reputation by insisting, as a contractual writer that all of the films that he made would have to be released in cinemas. They couldn't go direct to video on demand. Mm. That lasted <laughs> about three years. Um, but a first season of The Witch. Yeah, for example. Wicker Man. Yeah. This. All went to cinemas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now he's now available directly Do on stream. Do bad movies pay more? <laughs> 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 is that, is that the way it works? They do loads of them every year. I think that's it. I think they're cost effective. This only took a week of his time yeah. and he got $3 million. How much money does Christopher Walken have? Yeah. All of the money. Yeah. He unfortunately invested all of it in dinosaur skulls. Um, <laughs> but they're saying that, yeah, so they're saying, again, I love, this is another thing about Cage where Cage has been asked, like, he now lives in Nevada. Um, and he says, like, he's talking about where he lives. And he's like, the romantic way to put it would be in the Mojave Desert. But the crude way of saying it is that I live in Las Vegas. He moved there a decade ago, he quietly admits, for the rather crude reason of Nevada not having any state tax. Quote, which was helpful at the time. Unquote. I, 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 uh, New Hampshire doesn't have any income tax. Um, yeah, but pyramids probably are, are seen as being a bit <laughs> maybe, more Maybe, yeah, than yeah. Here. They also don't have casinos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, unless you count the outrageous amounts I spend in the casino as a tax. Um, uh, yeah. But, uh, and it's interesting because despite the fact that Cage has become something of a joke in recent years, he's actually still relatively well respected. What as do you an mean? <laughs> in 2013. The year before this movie that we just watched, Cage won China's Global Actor Award, the greatest actor in the world according to China. He collected it because he happened to be making a movie at that exact moment with Hayden Christensen in Hong Kong Ooh. and was just a plane flight away. He's actually apparently quite marketable as well. So Paul Schrader, um, who wrote Taxi Driver, yeah, and has his own career as a director. He's directed a whole bunch of stuff, including, say, Ethan Hawke's recent First Reformed. Um, Schrader has worked with him on a couple of occasions. He said that actually you'd be surprised at how effective Nicolas Cage is at getting your movies sold. Not to a reputable distributor, uh, but they will get picked <laughs> up for video on demand. You're not a cop. 
Nick How'd has you a, get this address? <laughs> Nick has a solid video on demand base, which allows him to continue to work in features while other actors have migrated to long form television, says mm-hmm. Schrader. As if like Nicolas Cage turning up in the first season of True Detective would be the worst thing in the world somehow. Um, <laughs> Is he due for a reconnaissance? What would be the Cage sense? Ca- His gilded cage? Oh I like that. I like Golden Cage. <laughs> Gilded Cage. Oh, Definitely fine. Gilded Cage, sorry. Fine, yeah. fine. Like the Gilded um, Age. I, I know, but I was going, okay. Fine. No, actually, golden yours is I better. I was going with Golden, anyway. But anyway, so yeah, there is some argument that that has already begun, Andrew. Off the back of recent hits like the Mom and Dad. Cage, the Golden will. Cage, if you will. Based on recent hits like Mom and Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the director of Crank and Crank 2. <laughs> uh, oh! Have you, have you heard this about this? This is the one where... All the parents in the world simultaneously, for no reason whatsoever, decide to murder their kids. Nicolas Cage is dad. The world's dad. Yeah, but okay, well, in the case of this movie, he's the father of the two hero kids. Wow. Himself and Selma Blair. And it's basically about himself and Selma Blair trying to murder their kids. Wow. It's really great. I really recommend it. The other one is Mandy, uh, which was a big hit last year, which I didn't like as much as most people. But which a lot of people really, really liked. Yeah, um, that keeps popping up on one of my streaming services. Like, hey, you should watch this film. I, uh, uh, well, well, I mean, a lot of people who aren't me loved it. I, I feel like I could love it if I came here and watched it with you guys. And then Aww. we talked about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. So let's talk about Left Behind. <laughs> so, Andy, what did you make in very broad terms of, of Left Behind? Had any of us seen this movie before? Had any of us read any of the books? Had any of us seen the previous films in the Left Behind franchise? I knew nothing about this film. And I I only cottoned on to the whole Christian bit right at the end where that where the twist came. Okay, so yeah, we're going to keep it a bit vague then, that, perhaps. That, yeah. That's a twist. That there was a twist, yeah. and it was Christian-themed. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. um, well, we've, we've just kind of uh, uh, spoiled, like, the only <laughs> spoiler thing. that the movie... Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, How is that just the premise of the movie? That's what I'm wondering. But yeah. had you guys... So you hadn't even heard of this before. I had no idea what I was watching, but I have to say, I enjoyed every second of it. I'm not. I can't tell if that's sarcasm. It it was it was bad in all the best ways. All right. Um. And Andrew, had you heard it? You hadn't heard this before. I I I hadn't. And watching it, I thought it was a movie where Nicolas Cage can predict things that are going to happen in the future. Um. That's the movie I thought it was. Yes, you're thinking of Alexis Price's Knowing. Yes. Which was released, I think, two years prior, which is based on a very, very, very similar premise of the, as this one. Yeah. Uh, and we'll probably talk about that a bit in the spoiler zone. Uh, but anyway, then, so before we jump into the spoiler zone, we have three questions that we normally ask. So, Andy. Yo. Do you think that Left Behind, the 2014 version, directed by Vic Armstrong, starring Nicolas Cage, belongs on a list of the 100 worst movies ever made? That's a tough one. I I'm gonna go with yes because it was pretty pretty bad, but then I I never saw the original, so you can't really compare the two. Mm, maybe that that one is much worse. We're gonna pause in the spoilers and make Andy watch the 2000 version of <laughs> Left Behind for the point for the sake of comparison. I really will cry after that. <laughs> Would it be on your bottom 100? 
I've seen way worse films than this, and not in a good way. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so you think it belongs on the worst 100 movies ever. You've, you've got no problem with it on the list, but it wouldn't be one of the worst 100 movies you've seen. Interesting. Yeah, I was mean... It, was it because it was fun, or was it because it was well-made, or... It was fun. I, I can tell that... So, like... I, I'm imagining there was, like, one guy on the crew. It didn't seem like they had that much of a budget for more than one guy yeah. who was doing the cameras... And the direction wrote, wrote and the, the script, sound. and he chose all the songs, possibly recorded some of those songs. Um, and he seemed very proud of what he was doing. I think this film was made with a lot of heart, a lot of love. Yeah, so this one goes of... out to you, Mr. Armstrong. And and then would would you recommend um, that people go out and see it? I mean, don't go out of your way. No. <laughs> Andrew betraying his uh, his answer to the question a little bit at home. Definitely don't go out of your way to see it. I mean, but if you were on a plane, oh, and like there was nobody sitting beside you. Jeez, man! Like <laughs> I just got off a plane, and I was freaking out for a little bit. I mean, spoilers: there's a plane in this film, <laughs> and it made me glad that I watched it after we landed. And not on the flight. Yeah. Although I do have to get another plane at the end of the week, after which I will hopefully forget this film exists. All right, then. Let's segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Andy. Hi. What is Left Behind about for you? I wrote the words, what is this film about in my notes around about the midpoint of the film? And I still don't know. Like thematically, I guess it's... There's a god. Yay. Um, the... The rest, I, like, I kept trying to find, like, thematic links with, like, ooh, they're left behind by God, but also he left his daughter behind. Like, is is, is there something deeper going on here? The answer is no. It, well, it, isn't God really just an absentee father who's possibly thinking about banging a hot stewardess and so, you know, devotes his attention away from the demands of managing his familial life? Your, your scripture reading has, uh, <laughs> is really reaping uh, dividends. Um, for the purposes of this particular discussion. Um, for verily. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, no. It, like, I mean, I, I think maybe there is something there, though. Because, again, this is the thing where there's a lot of... It tends to happen quite a bit in these sorts of movies. I think I've seen at least one of the gods not deads. And I recall it being very much along the lines of... I'd, all the atheist characters, all the people who don't believe, well, first of all, they're either like evil liberal bloggers um, or secularists or, you know, people who are like, oh, out to prove how intellectual and smart they are over real people. Or the sympathetic uh, atheists are characters in these movies who are defined by personal or familial traumas um, that excuse their atheism. So the idea is that, here. Yeah. that's exactly what I'm thinking a, here. Of both types. Yeah. Even like the poor Muslim guy. 
Oh, well, yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about him. Um, yeah, I mean, what's... <laughs> Drill down deep into that guy. He's, like, devoted uh, to, um, yeah. to, to, to his face. He's devoted to kicking dwarfs off things. Oh, yeah, sorry. He does take, he does take a heel turn. Yeah, quite literally they, a heel they, turn. Yeah, they decide, like, late in the movie that they want to kind of, um, like... Establish that he's... That he's not a nice person, but yeah. So, um, but yeah. So basically, yeah. Let's let's drill down into this particular sort of thing. So, all the characters on. So the basic plot is that the rapture has happened, and God has taken up all of his devoted followers, but only all of his devoted followers. It turns out. Oh. So, what you have is you have a whole bunch of characters. So this is lost on you, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I guess I wasn't paying that much attention. I thought that. The, the Muslim guy was just not that devoted. No, because this is the thing. There's a whole conversation that he has uh, with the with the gentleman on the plane where he's like... Um, oh, your God or my God. That's it, exactly. Yeah, and, where he's, he's like, and he's like, they're all the same God. So and I, that's why he got left behind. But I kind of thought that... I mean, he was right there. Not uh, according to this movie. Ah, oh, jeez. Well, he that's, gave his life to God, but he didn't give his life to Jesus. Yeah, and therefore he didn't get raptured. At least that's the way that... That's the only way that I can really make sense of his arc. Unless it's like, you know... Because he does offer to help his fellow passenger put the baggage in overhead. He's the guy who's like, look, everything's like going to hell. Maybe we should say a prayer. Yeah. He seems to be a fairly decent guy all around. He has a toothbrush that he uses in one of the movie's strangest jump cut decisions. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it seems like the argument the movie's making is that... This guy is great and he's devoted to his faith, but he picked the wrong faith, so it kind of sucks to be him. He's not getting raptured. He does kind of turn around and say, you think I did this because I'm a terrorist? Oh. <laughs> Essentially. He, no, he, no, no, no. Not he's not like, even... terrorists couldn't do this. That's it, exactly. Yeah. No, he doesn't, he doesn't say, you thought I was a terrorist, or why did you think I was a terrorist, so, or the assumption that I'm a terrorist is entirely wrong. Terrorists could not do this. We don't... Yeah. Uh, we don't... Terrorists <laughs> like me would not yeah. vanish children. Exactly. Yeah. What's wrong with you? You really think a terrorist could develop a weapon like this? Um, which says a lot about the movie's worldview, that it's like... Of course the Muslim guy would be in on it if they had the technology. <laughs> they identify with... Uh, he, like, identifies as a terrorist. A lot of his best friends are terrorists. and Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's kind of, like, where the movie seems to be putting this. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling a bit slow after m- missing some bits, but I, I just found either I wasn't paying enough attention or all those characters were very thinly drawn... To the point where you talk about him having a knock and I'm like, they were just there. Like, I get this whole thing like, ooh, it's a slice of life. But if that's the case, then why don't we meet all these people in, until like the final third of the film? <laughs> and why are they so thinly drawn? Oh, yeah. No, no. The, the characterization is awful. Characters have single defining traits, but those single defining traits are pretty much why God doesn't deem them worthy. Because he's raptured. a dwarf. No, he gambles. Well, he gambles. And he, and he also refuses to share his gambling take with the kid who he's gave him the hint. He's a meanie. Yeah. That's his yeah. problem. And, and he, he's bald. And he hides behind the uh, the alien. The conspiracy theorist. Conspiracy theorist. Who, is, who believes in the wrong God as well, man. He believes in the god of science yeah. or aliens. 
Yeah, so I mean, like, the, the whole cabin is populated by people who have picked the wrong god, so to speak. Whether right, it's they, the J.R. Ewing-style character. Who worships Mammon. Yeah. Um, or it's the guy in the corner who worships, like, aliens. Or it's, you know, it's it's all these other things as well. It's the, the guy who Muslims... Drug addict. Yes. Yeah. Who worships drugs, apparently. Who thinks it's a bad trip. I'm sure there are great Christians who also love drugs. Um... Mm. Coffee's Maybe. a drug. Well, th- that's the th- that's cigarettes a drug. <laughs> <laughs> this is what uh, this is what kind of gets me about these movies, which is like, I all right. So, born Catholic, I would consider myself a lapsed Catholic. I go to mass once or twice a year. I you know for Christmas and stuff like that. I have family members who go on a more regular basis and whose faith is important to them. Um, so you know I don't. I'm not like the Richard Dawkins style atheist who's like, ha ha ha, I think religious belief is, is hilarious. I actually have a great deal of sensitivity towards religious belief. I think religious belief is fantastic in certain cases. Um, in terms of, of Christianity, in terms of Catholicism, while I have issues with how the church is organized, I think that it's a very good ordering principle for things like humanism. The idea of what you do to the least of people that you do unto you know, God, or the idea of helping the poor first, or the idea of like self-sacrifice. All those ideas are great and very worth encouraging. And I think that's very good. Right. What I have an issue with, with these sorts of religious films, and I'm thinking in particular of, say, God's Not Dead, and this one in particular, what um, Alyssa Wilkinson describes as the persecution films, is that they don't seem to exist to articulate what, and again, maybe I'm a lapsed Catholic, maybe I don't have the right to say this, but what I would consider to be Christian values, which are the idea of charity, the idea of like consideration, generosity, of, well, of I, hope. I think of... I think believers have a problem. Um, like very very conservative Christians in the U.S. believe that a certain type of religiosity is quite common, where people uh, ostensibly believe in God, but they're they're more kind of like concerned with giving, living a good life and being happy. Yeah, and kind of think that uh, um, I suppose that the, that that's enough. Which, 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 um, I guess the, the very conservative Christians think is like kind of Thoughts her- and heretical. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. But, but I mean, even beyond that, though, like there's some discussion uh, within the church itself. Um, I'm trying to drag up the, the name here, but it's the um, Bishop of Durham, uh, who is Tom Wright, who's argued that like, so the rapture, the, the like the idea of the rapture, right? Which is is something that's kind of you know very possible. Was it a raptor? <laughs> <laughs> that's what Nicholas Cage put the skull of. Yeah, that's Nick- why he took the job. <laughs> he thought yeah. it was about raptors. Yeah, I love to star in the raptor. <laughs> but yeah, so the idea of rapture theology is actually relatively recent. Um, it can trace its origins back to British minister John Nelson, no, John Nelson Darby, in the eighteen thirties who was a British minister who derived his theory from the visions of a Scottish teenager. It moved over to the United States in the early 20th century. Um, and his logic was that... Wasn't it meant to happen, like, in 2011? Or... Well, this is the thing. There are all sorts of different schools about predicting yeah. when the rapture is due to happen. Like, the argument is that uh, Darby's Darby as a theologist, and in terms of his influence on theology, 
was to argue that the era of human, like human history can be broken down into particular eras, um, as I understand it. And I mean, you two are probably better suited to correct me on this one. But his argument was that you could break... We're, we're like d- different classes of hominids <laughs> from, from the different eras of... Well, he, he argued that basically um, the current era, the current dispensation is what he called it, began with crucifixion. And then what will happen is... This there guy will... is a doctor. Darby. No, no, no. This guy is uh, John Nelson Darby. Mr. He's a British minister. Mr. Oh, uh, minister. Reverend. Yes, Reverend Darby. Uh, but he argued that basically the current dispensation run from the crucifixion through to the rapture of the saved. Following the rapture of the saved, there will be a seven-year period during which the Antichrist will rule the earth. Then will come Armageddon. And then will come Last Judgment. And he bases all of this on uh, the book of Revelations, but he also draws on stuff like the Gospel of Matthew, which includes lines which are referenced, by the way, in the wonderful kind of folksy closing song with uh, Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 and 41. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Or to quote the lyrics of the song at the end of the film, Two men walking up a hill, one man left there still. Um, but yeah, so the idea was that this became a kind of a tenant of certain schools of thought in like American Protestantism. And there are people in the church who critique that thought. And in particular, the Bishop of Durham, Tom Wright, who's argued that this school of thought is something that happened when the Bible was translated from Hebrew into Greek. And Wright's argument is that the original Hebrew uh, Bible and the Hebrew philosophy of resurrection... We'll have the Hebrew Bible and the Greek Bible in the show notes. Uh, right? For listeners, to, if they want to dissect and go through this personally. But Wright's argument you was You can that, follow along. Yeah, as, as you're going. Can I get a copy? <laughs> right in front of you now. Yeah. But Wright's argument was that the Hebrew idea of resurrection was a very literal sense. So Hebrew theology viewed the world, or at least according to Wright, as... We, as a world that was we invited Andy because we thought he was the Bishop of Durham <laughs> um, to be fair I did give you that impression on purpose yeah for the, all your Instagrams <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like Bishop hats on yeah. <laughs> the right stuff uh, the Tom right stuff but yeah so his argument was that the, the Hebrew idea of resurrection is a very literal one it's the idea of bring like the idea is that you'll come back and the world is damaged and the world is imperfect but the world is fixable right the issue is, he argued, when Greek Christianity translated it, they adapted, they adopted some theories from Plato. And Plato believed that the world is a fundamentally broken and damaged place. The idea of the, But also that it's something that isn't all that we can see. The cave, the, the analogy of the cave, for example. And the idea that there's something transcending beyond that. And Wright's argument is that the whole idea of heaven, um, as a lot of modern Christianity understands it, came from that difference in translating from like the original Hebrew texts into, into Greek and the sort of philosophical shift that came with it. And he's argued that this was reinforced uh, during the sort of Renaissance um, when you had things like, say, Dante's Inferno, which presented heaven, hell, and purgatory as different levels, as different literal worlds, worlds that you could travel through. Uh, but even things like the painting of the Sistine Chapel and its presentation of heaven as another world entirely. And his argument is and, that... Uh, uh, Bosch as well? I, well, he didn't mention Bosch specifically, but perhaps as well included within that. 
But the idea, yeah, that like his 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 depictions of hell and of 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 heaven and of people and kind of like the punishments that, that are inflicted yeah. on them. But the idea that yeah, that they are literal other worlds, and the idea that you will be taken <sighs> to them and deposited there after you die. Yeah, yeah very much. Yeah, and and kind of as opposed to it's say great, these great uh, triptychs with um, like musicians being. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, being grinders like, or other people uh, are punished. Yeah. yeah, um, but yeah, so his his argument is though that this is, and this is the Bishop of Durham argues that, like, what this approach has done, I'm looking oh. at Andy while I'm saying this, I don't know why, but his argument is that this school of Christianity is corrosive to a certain extent of what he deems to be core Christian values because. It argues that the world itself is not redeemable, only the individual is. And that if you believe that your job is to live a good life yourself and to satisfy God and live according to those commandments so as to get a ticket into another perfect world, that this fosters an idea of separation between yourself and the world as it exists. And this then leads to things like, you know, you don't have to worry about things like climate change, for example. Or, that's it, exactly. You don't have to worry about things like social decay. You don't have to worry about wars being fought, refugees. You don't have to worry about people starving in the streets. If you believe that instead of fixing the world that is in front of you, as long as you live according to a very strict code, as long as you adhere to a textbook set of rules, you will be able to escape that yourself. And I mean, I that I find there's a bit of that in this. There's a lot of that in this, I find, where there's a sense of... And I wonder if... Is there? Is there well, an element of like... Well, there's I mean, a, there's a our, bit of the fact that we don't really see much beyond this one aeroplane. Yeah, I don't know if we if we get a, a, a sense of kind of the goodness of the, the people who go. We don't, or, we don't or what, the, what they're... Belief what their what their uh, values were or whether or, or to what extent did they kind of contribute or manifest um kind of a uh, uh, goodness in other ways no, well, the, the so children we, we, went they got a free pass yeah the children, yeah. The children all get a free only pass only the children went i was just, like uh, uh, i need some work. when i was uh, a <laughs> Andrew arrives in heaven he's like i'm going to have mean, some I was, fun up here I, I was a little bit better than i am now <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, but 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 I was in, in, certainly no saint. But, but all these all these kids they just kind of get pass, pass under the gate. Like yeah, you must be this tall to be judged. But yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that like like according and, to and yet <laughs> and yet that little kid who finally got that baseball mitt he's been asking for. He but one of it. the best line deliveries of the film. The brand new baseball glove that I've been asking for. <laughs> in case the audience was wondering how his sister knew to get him That's a incredible. brand new baseball glove. And he's like, thanks for the baseball glove. <laughs> the one I was asking for. Um, kid gives great reaction shots. There's one later on where he's oh, where, like, man. when the sister and the mother are having a conversation. And he's kind of lurking in the doorway. He's a creepy dude who can hide behind anything. <laughs> is this the ter- is, is it terrible to... No, maybe it is. They, they, because there, there, there's, there, there's a little person in this movie, and is he there so that like, no, no, it, it's, it's not, it's not to we establish. Were joking about the. Height it's not to establish that there, were, that there was a height restriction, right? Oh, good, good, good. Uh, so that wasn't what it was. Okay. Oh, 
All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Um, I didn't suggest the height restriction. It was an allegory. <laughs> it, it was like when kids go to a theme park. Why did you have to take it in that direction? But like, this is the thing where there's the moment where oh, I, Captain Race. Remember how Captain Race Steel deduces what's happening? He's like, he, he, oh my god, you two are Christians. <laughs> he picks up the. I can't, I can't go to that concert. Like you too, Christian band. You too. <laughs> but he picks up the little sort of crucifix necklace that his co-pilot wears, and a wedding and, ring, and a wedding ring, because that and, had sanctified him. And then he has the diary from the stewardess who disappeared. And by the way, <laughs> yeah. the steward, the stewardess, the other she is so pumped for Bible study. <laughs> Tuesday, eight thirty p.m. Underline all caps. Bible study. But I mean, but this this kind of gets at what I'm saying there, where it's like, because her only characterization earlier in the film is like, so, Hattie, is the married captain gonna get it? And Hattie's like, yeah, the married captain. Well, she doesn't know he's married. Well, she doesn't care if anyone else goes to hell. (laughs) I think that's the thing that you were trying to establish about these characters that we don't find anything out about. Yeah, apart from the fact that they... That they are technically, like, in terms of, like, they're technically Christian and so get raptured. It doesn't matter if you're a devoted Muslim. And it doesn't matter if you're an undevoted Christian. The Christian is going to heaven. The Muslim is not getting in, apparently. Who, who discovers this in the handbag? Um, it's Hattie. Hattie, remember Hattie's turning over You mean the... Captain Steele? <laughs> <laughs> Captain Ray Steele. Captain, you mean Captain Steele? <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> it wasn't that funny, Andrew. Oh, the dialogue in this movie oh. is awful, isn't it? It's ridiculous. By the way, is it telling? Brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. Is it telling that so much of this movie unfolds in first class? One of the interesting. Oh, yeah. um, oh no! I like it. The woman it... wakes up and thinks she's been Inception. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he sends the stewardess back to go and make sure no one's panicking, and she's like. Well, everyone in first class is obviously fine. I've got to go and control everyone the press. Everyone is freaking out, but yeah, they're <laughs> But in they coach. don't matter. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like the little mutiny that sort of round where they come to the door and sort mm. of bang them down. There's a dude with tattoos on him, which is a very... Whoa, yeah, like, that's the least Christian thing you can do. Yeah. Um, unless it's a tattoo of a crucifix. But no, this guy doesn't have a tattoo of a crucifix, but he's banging on the door and it's like, you know, Nicholas Cage sends him back. And that's no, all you ever hear. He doesn't send a bag. He <laughs> turns on it like he's just he like. The um, yeah, which which will either make them all sit down, or they won't make it back to their seats. It made me wonder, like how how come the pilots on nine eleven didn't do that? Oh, if, because they got into the cabin very quickly. Oh. Um, but I mean like you say that as though like and again you can tell this is the root of the movie as a pre-9-11 sort of story because it was a novel from 1995 there's a moment where when they're boarding the plane and by the way I love this book who is an investigative journalist who everybody knows and who always flies first class he's a photographer as well he is and apparently he has such clout that he can get his friend bumped up to first class which is one of those interesting things about the state of journalism in 2014 (laughs) um but yeah he just wanders lightly into the cabin and gives uh captain ray steel was he an investigative journalist yeah because he He did spend a lot of time telling people that he he would say like hey 
investigative journalist. You right? have a satellite phone? Investigative journalist. Yeah. But I mean, there's Pirate. even things like where people recognize him. Like, for example, like, oh, it's, yeah. Where, like, like I, when, when the daughter goes home to her mother, she's like, Cameron Williams? From the news? Well, she said, Did uh, you talk to him? Buck Williams first. Because like, <laughs> she knows him so well. <laughs> His name is Buck and he's here. Anyway. Um, okay, okay. I just thought of something. So the old lady's husband. Yep. He's deaf, but he's a believer and he gets raptured. Yeah. Yeah. The old lady, she's got Alzheimer's. Yeah. And that stops her from going to heaven. Presumably. Okay, continue. <laughs> there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of women not going to, to, um, to, to, to have, and, 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 and not everyone gets raptured at the same time. So remember, she says to him, like, you're, you're, you're the best baseball player in the world. At that point, like, it was, it, it, it God just, was like, I'm taking just, him. Just, <laughs> just after he had raptured all the baseball players. <laughs> <laughs> like, you get to be the best one for just a Just by default. Yeah. It? it did take a long time for that light it's aircraft game. to drop. When she, like, she, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she, when the car park, yeah. Yeah, like, that had been this, circling for this some time. S- delayed school bus. <laughs> yes, yeah. Right. How long well, had that been going? <laughs> all the kids. Like, what about the driver? Apparently the driver was a very good driver. <laughs> a little Christian too Rock. good. <laughs> but not a, not good enough. Um, yeah, it's... Oh, he's he's GWN is what he reports from. Is what uh, Mr. Williams reports from. Um, investigative reporter. I know you, people randomly <laughs> say to him in the street. Even ladies with Alzheimer's <laughs> recognize him. But you know You're who they Frank don't Sinatra. recognize? <laughs> God. God, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely completely insane. But I mean, this is the thing where the the whole and it's is it weird that God doesn't take their clothes? Is it kind of like really strange that I, Thanos I think takes their clothes? Um, but that that's it exactly. I'm wondering like, is this actually secretly an Infinity War interquote? This, this yeah, like, this is literally. It could just be like, like oh, what what was happening during the uh, during the blip? Like, yeah, that was it. That's it. This is your blip movie. This is your your. It's been folded into the MCU. Turns out we Captain didn't Ray. need to see that. <laughs> Turns out the Captain Ray Steel is actually Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> they just cut the scene where he turns the plane into a giant flaming motorcycle. It was an MCU film this whole time. They turn up in heaven and it's all um, like uh, naked kids and believers. And they're like, oh, uh, welcome. Um, you 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 don't need your your clothes or your shame anymore. Um, here 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 we are. And by the way, the are the, the the people then who weren't raptured, the people who are left behind, um, they go on having kids, but um, the 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 kids don't get raptured up until the final judgment, right? That's it exactly. Oh. So the, the the central premise of the novels. Is that like you? So basically, there's a seven year period now between this and the end of the world, and so all like a six year old child, maybe everyone's infertile now. Born, born of a gambling addict and a drug addict. (laughs) All of the people who who are who are left behind have seven years to essentially prove their faith to God and be worthy in the final judgment. Is the basic sort of plot of it. It's worth no. They waste like so much time looting and shooting each other. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that that escalated quickly. It really did. Yeah, 
It was because, of course, it's like they are implying that the worst people are left. Yeah, I did like it was very inconvenient for God to take people on Black Friday. I thought it's my turn <laughs> to take away. Um, Seriously, though, um, like if the rapture happens now, just know that I'm having that massive tally. <laughs> it's just going. It's gone. Uh, are you are you taking the sound system as well, or uh, my uh, neighbors I'm never just what out? just what I can carry? <laughs> we'll need the sound system for the rapture when it goes. <laughs> the Inception style Dum. noise. Um, yeah. it, it is worth noting. We do I, have like a there is a musical cue when the rapture comes, yeah, isn't and it? And there's like a little sort of light effect as well. So many cues. Oh, the music in this is it's amazing. It's amazing is one thing. word in this movie because it's like the music keeps leveling and keeps going up, and there are all these jump scare moments which are not really jump scares. Like for example, and there's really weird cuts. And you I can know tell... the phone going off. I think beca- yeah. because it was so loud, and because it sounded like it was going off behind me, it was genuinely. <laughs> but that was probably more to do with your sound system. Yeah. There's also the moment where the Muslim guy produces a toothbrush, but it cuts away so quickly on the reaction face <laughs> of the character who it's being pointed at. Well, no, it cuts from him about to grab the toothbrush to like a, a, um, a person going through a window. Yeah, it? yeah. Yeah, but I think you do also get to see a quick reaction shot as well, and then it goes to the guy going through the window. And the, again, this is the thing where you can tell Vic Armstrong, who is a stuntman turned director, like has realized that he can cross-cut. He's clearly watched Inception. <laughs> like He's figured out that what he can do is he can have multiple storylines happening at the same what? time and cut between them in quick succession. Not always what? successfully. No, I, I, I've, 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 what he discovered is that he can have nothing happening in different storylines. And, and just between. cut between them. Yeah. At one point, I feel like they show there's a car that has crashed into the car in front of it. And there's like smoke coming out of it. And a woman kind of comes over to the car with her keys and kind of opens it and gets into it. Like she hasn't realized <laughs> that the rapture is uh, Hello, rapture going on here. Well, I mean, like there are lots of scenes of, of the daughter walking like down the train tracks. And there are just cars passing by because obviously they couldn't shut that down for shooting. And it's like, no rapture happening here. Um, It's like, and then she goes back to the main street and it's just like everybody's lying on the ground. The cars (laughs) are just all pulled over. It's like, oh, don't worry, a block or two down the road. It's just nobody got raptured there. The the music. That's like Queens. Like it. So I made a few notes about the music and it starts, I'm pretty sure... I thought I was watching You've Got Mail right right at the start. Or, oh, where they're doing the meat yeah. cues. There's, there's like... And then... Like, it just and he's seems actually so, written down the music. It just seems so consciously cheesy. Like, hey, we know we're making an awful film here. Just come along for the ride. And then there was like a, a sort of Hans Zimmer like... Mm. Yeah, and then at uh, other points I thought, oh, this is the music from The Feather from Forrest Gump. Right, like, yeah. Like, oh, this is magical. And then suddenly there's there's like Christian rock music when he's avoiding the plane in the sky. Yeah. And someone pulls oh, a shotgun yeah. and suddenly there's Western music. Yeah. There's, what there's all the music. Well, you can tell that the sound department was like, this is my one shot. Yeah, it's like what? I got. You're so into I mean, it. I love it. When, when like, you if I made a film, if I made a film, it would be this. Yeah, if you were a rubbish. sound designer working on a film, you'd be yeah. like, "I'm only going to get one shot. I've got a western cue." 
I feel yeah. I feel like it would be like kind of oh the movies. The, yeah, if I was making a movie, it would be like yeah, it's getting really boring now, isn't it? I'll, 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 have some James Bond what, music. What, what about a mid-air collision? What are the chances of that? <laughs> it's just a plane is like heading in the same direction as them. Oh, by the way, is it worth noting that everybody on that plane dies? <laughs> like, because, because, because they happen to have two faithful pilots. It's like, yep, yeah, no chance for redemption for you guys, apparently. No. Um, yeah, that's not how God rolls yeah, in these movies. Yeah, thanks God. <laughs> I really like, by the way, the assertion that um, it's like Chloe Steele by the way, and Steele is such a great name. Um, but Chloe Steele makes the point, you know, the God that my mother described would never do something like this. Lethine really makes God seem like he's not a nice person. Mm. Well, it, was, it wasn't like the... the um, God would maintain that, well, there was a choice all the time. <laughs> I put it in it. I put it in these movies that nobody would see. <laughs> well, that apparently lots of people went to see based on the plot and the, the results. I mean, oh. yeah, well, I mean, to, to pick an example, I mentioned there that uh, God... Actually, not... are, are we going to go through the box office figures? <laughs> no, we're not going to go through all the box office figures. But God's Not, God's not Dead made $60 million back on a $2 million budget. Right. Which is pretty great um, by those metrics, to pick an example. But even things like there was uh, You You'll Never, You Can Only Imagine, uh, which opened as the, thir- sorry, I Can Only Imagine, which was directed by the Orwin Brothers, um, which is an earnest soft filter biopic of Christian rock musician Bart Millard, starring Dennis Quaid. Um, but basically, that managed to earn um, 80, $83 million. Um only earning $1.6 million short of the Best Picture winner, Green Book. To give an example of scale. Wow. So yeah, so these movies, people do go out and people do turn out to see these movies. Um, yeah. So, so like, there, there is an audience there for this. This one only made $20 million back, unfortunately. Well, fortunately or unfortunately. But only made $20 million at the box office. This in spite so of... So they marketing. gave three to Nicholas. Yeah. Leaving 13 <laughs> to spend on everything else. Um, it's worth noting that they're marketing for the movie. Included a pull quote from Satan himself. What? S- Satan gave a quote for this Satan movie. Satan gave a pull quote for this movie. He said, do not bring any unbelievers. That was the pull quote. The Wall Street Journal could not reach Satan for comment on this. No, like literally, like the, apparently that was one of the things. The idea was that, again, you're playing this idea of like an evangelical audience. So you want to bring, Satan is telling you not to go and see this movie and oh not to God. bring all of your relatives to go see this movie. I was need it, to do exactly the opposite <laughs> of that. There we go. It's Satan saying I should do it. Um, it's worth noting as well that God's Not Dead's marketing worked on a similar, um, similar premise. God's Not Dead asked its audience to text 10 of their friends randomly with the message in all caps, God's not dead. That was God apostrophe, yes. Yes. Not dead. Not dead. Why are you taking out your phone, Andy? <laughs> Andy's about to text <laughs> gonna 10 do of some his texting. friends. <laughs> just going to get on up Let's there. all do that now. Actually, anybody listening, just <laughs> out of context, text your friends, God's not dead. Well, I mean, we, we talked about, for example... Tweet us. <laughs> God's, God's not, not dead. dead. Well, we talked about, when we were talking about like Fifty Shades of Grey, do you remember Old Fashioned? Which was the Christian movie answer to... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I guess I'm just old-fashioned. 
Um, it's, <laughs> but yeah, so the idea was they were pure flicks, which are the guys who are responsible for a lot of these films, released that the same weekend as Fifty Shades as counter programming. Ah, I did not know. Ah. No, apparently it's, it's it's a whole big boom industry of this. Okay, um, did did you know I enjoyed um, Nicholas Cage explaining how uh, f- f- uh, fuel leaks worked, but when when he was demonstrating it with he, the coffee cup, he got a coffee cup, but there was no coffee in it. Yeah, so it would it would it would have would have like so if, he pokes it up if the coffee side had the started yeah. to come out of the side and then coffee <laughs> coming out of the bottom. Yeah. yeah, and you like, got one coffee-covered cage. Exactly. <laughs> they would have had to pay him another million dollars for that, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm just glad that at no point did he or the science believer get a piece of paper and fold it to explain what wormholes do and drill a pencil <laughs> through it. Um, oh yeah, because there is the we could have gone through a wormhole to where these people don't exist. But what if they're invisible now, Andy? What, what if, if they're in a coffee cup? <laughs> um, yeah, is it worth noting that the movie spends 45 minutes before the rapture? That was my big surprise. That was uh, like, because I, I wow. you guys didn't know this was a rapture movie. I knew this was a rapture movie. I was a bit surprised that it took 45 minutes for the rapture to yeah, happen. I mean, you've got mail already took a turn there. I I just didn't know what was going on at any minute. Yeah, it, 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 it was, it was a, a big kind of a surprise. I wasn't expecting that. But... Um, what were you expecting? What were you guys actually sort of just in terms of? I had no so idea. Before the I, I, happened, I, what I, you think I, was? I thought it was that movie where he can predict things. <laughs> knowing. <laughs> knowing. And because yeah. we're in the spoiler zone for all movies, Andy, are you familiar with Knowing? I know of Knowing. Knowing is the movie where Nicolas Cage's son, I believe, works out a mathematical formula that allows him to predict when disasters are going to happen. What? And he uses this formula to determine that disasters are happening more frequently now than they have at any point in human history and are going to happen in an increasingly accelerated sense all building towards this one date. It turns out what's actually going to happen on this one date is that, and I need some room. you not, angels are going to come down from heaven. They're going to be bald because this is an Alexis Proyas movie. They're going to be wearing leather mm. and they're going to take all Ooh. of the children with them. No, my God. And Nicolas Cage, all the adults are going to be left, but Andrew's, like, Andrew's forehead is amazing right now. His eyebrows are, yeah. Um, but yes, so these leather-clad, balding aliens will come down, take all the children away with them, and then all the parents will remain on Earth and die. Aww. That's the ending of Knowing. Dude. So we kind of got that film. I guess. Mixed yeah. in with, like... An airplane. An airplane yeah. going wrong Airport film. 99 or whatever, yeah. Uh, when, the, when the kind of Texan um, <laughs> millionaire is... Uh, oh, crack- the 80s guy. He yeah. was too busy being an 80s guy to take care of his daughter. Exactly. <laughs> He's crying. I wish I could say when this happened, I was thinking about my daughter. <laughs> but I wasn't. I was thinking about money. <laughs> money. But now I'm thinking about you. I sure hope my wife is gone <laughs> yes. when I get home. That doesn't take on a creepy note at all yeah. with his arm wrapped around her. Yeah. No. So you're a, you're a daughter of my business associate. You have substance abuse issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> kind of issues with self-esteem. And uh, problems with a, with a dad, daddy issues, father figure, absent father figure. 
I think we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> but again, again, the, some drugs at home. <laughs> the subtext of the movie that we're watching, because again, it is. It's all about absent fathers. Because they the, is the saddest day of my behind. life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. Oh, um, which is great, by the way. The message written on the inside of the U two concerts, um, or the U two concert tickets. She did meet uh, Buck, and that yeah. was still the saddest day of her life. She didn't write that. The envelope wrote it because it contained U <laughs> two tickets. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Today is the, the saddest day of your life. The person selling the tickets <laughs> will like write little. Bono writes it on every ticket himself. <laughs> but uh, they, speaking of music, they 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 had a music video where she climbed up onto. Oh, about to commit suicide! Oh, yeah, the yeah. suicide music video where Chloe Steele walks down a train track, li- climbs up to the top of a bridge. It's about I assume it's supposed to be the Hudson, is it possibly? I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, so but she's it's the Mississippi instead. Okay, yeah, um, but she's standing up there, and as she's standing up there, we get a nice little Christian rock song to remind us that life is precious and God loves us and everything is sacred. And as she's about to jump, the satellite that has been out of touch for the entire movie apparently moves back into position, and who does she hear? The voice of her long absent father. Why are the? He's only been emotionally absent. Why are the satellites oh, out? It was the voice of God this whole time. Yeah, and that's, I've been suddenly saying this, Suddenly this film is in context for me. Yeah, no, I mean, because it's worth noting that even, like, is it uh, Venice Baxter, who is the <laughs> drug addict sort of, like, trust fund sort of baby girl, um, is she's, you know, she's talking about her own father and how absent he was. And you have Texas dude Dennis, who's played by Gary Grubbs. It's talking about how he failed as a father, to give an example. You even have, like, the plot on the plane, where your woman's convinced that uh, her husband, who is an, an NFL player, she has actually to shoot kidna- herself in the chest, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Which uh, started me googling kind of um, uh, multiple gunshot um, uh, uh, suicides on Wikipedia. For, and and and, and re- read it, reading about Lil, Lil Wayne once shot himself in the chest. The 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 whole thing in in like a movie or in general when somebody takes out a gun is and, then, the and then yeah yeah, but the, she uh, points to her chest, which people do. It's a weird thing because they generally botch it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think <laughs> part of that is down to the fact that this is a PG thirteen movie. Yeah. So you have like you have um, what's it uh, the <laughs> the. The hard knock sort of gambling, you know, sort of like really jerky dude is like, uh, geez, Louise at one point. Because it feels like, yeah, that's the hardest swear word that you're kind of three G's on Florida kind of hard knock gambling dude is going to come up with at that moment in time. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Jeez Louise. Um, but yeah, it, it's again, this is the PG-13 because the idea is that he you're going to show this. He could have been like... Holy moly. This pisses. (laughs) Yes, Andrew. Yes, he could have. Uh, But yeah, so and again, this gets back to the weird wholesomeness of it all. Where you get a sense that like even Venice Baxter, which is a great name. um, Everybody in this movie has a great name. Where Venice Baxter is a drug addict, but like a really generic drug addict like what yeah. what does she have because she's got like track she, marks she's on her got hand. track she doesn't marks. seem she like she's having drugs. as much fun as somebody <laughs> on that much drugs should be having but like she went 
was it heroin she had in it, the toilet? Because it, it was green, wasn't it? It was like it was green it was a powder? white powder. Oh, I don't okay. know what color heroin is. Okay, I've only seen it in films. Um, it's but brown, then, isn't it? I think it's but, brown sugar. Yeah, isn't but it? then she came back from the toilet and she was all like stoned, which isn't what I assumed cocaine would make her be. And also, like the marks around her eyes have disappeared. Yeah, and but then she's like, "Oh, it's a bad trip." And what what is she like doing? Mushrooms. She's yeah, doing all like the drugs. LSD plus heroin. What? what is yeah. That? It's L- worth noting, by the way, that she is played by uh, it's stunt woman uh, Georgina Rollins, oh. um, who has worked on films like Wonder Woman, to pick an example. I suspect that she may have worked with Armstrong in the past, which is probably why she's there. She did look familiar. It's notable that she is not. I mean. Yeah, the cast here is not especially great. No, it, it like comes across that she's perhaps not an actress. Yeah. And I mean, this is the thing where... <laughs> All that acting she was trying to do. <laughs> well, there's the moment where like she's in the background of shots during that... And particularly in the sequence with the handgun, where everybody's being sort of like handgun threatened. And like... All the people who could actually act in the cast. And there's, you know, not many of them are like, oh my God, it's a live handgun. But in the background of the shot, she's just like, yep, the uh, director told me to stand here. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand here and be in the shot. That's where I am. I am present now. Let me know when you need me to jump through a window. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) jump in front of that gun. (laughs) No. I mean, the similar thing happens with uh, with the minister when Chloe goes to visit the family minister. Where he's just incredibly static. He's oh, just sort of man. standing there and staring into middle he's distance. Acting all over the place. <laughs> While delivering sort of like this exposition film all up about how he didn't actually believe. But it's like, you know, I think I'd be more upset by this. But I'm, uh, I've made my peace with it. So I think I'm just going to relay that information to you in an impartial manner. And you can do it <laughs> what you please. There's a moment where when she's going to leave. And he's like, Chloe, don't. But he stays exactly where he is because you can tell he's been told to stay on this mark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, even things like the actor who plays Buck, Cameron Buck Williams, who is Chad Michael Murray. And this is great because he's one of the rare actors in the film who shares several scenes with Nicolas Cage. And this is the thing where like Cage, this is not one of Cage's great performances. I think we'll all agree. He didn't go full Cage. No, he didn't go full cage. Like uh, at a scene where he's like crying on the phone. Yeah. Where 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 it maybe re- re- required some chops because there 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 is a moment where um Chad Michael Murray is interviewing a um a, a woman in who's in, holding like a little in the plane who's holding a little hippo. Yeah, that the baby <laughs> um, in the end. Yeah. And it, it's 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 really 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 terrible and it's hilarious. Um, I think the hippo makes it funnier. <laughs> Somehow. And also the little bit where he, where Chad Michael Williams sort of touches her on the shoulder, but not so much that yeah. would be inappropriate. He's like, this is going to get cut, right? Therapeutic touch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really got the impression. Respecting boundaries. They wanted Captain America, Chris Evans, to play Chuck. I can just tell. And they got this charisma vacuum. <laughs> what? What's amazing, though, is like the sequences where he's in the cockpit with Cage, right? Because this is the thing where you have like a direct contrast. On the left side of the screen, you have Chad Michael Murray. On the right side of the screen, you have Nicolas Cage. 
They're both in shot at the same time, reacting to the same things. So whether or not it's like, oh my God, we're having a phone call with Chloe. This is very emotional. Or, oh my God, we're going to have to land this plane. It's impossible. Or, oh my God, I've just realized we don't have enough fuel and we're all going to die. So what you have when you have those two actors side by side <laughs> is you have, as you point out, the charisma vacuum of Chad Michael Murray. But like, it makes you notice even like low key, like non-full cage, you're watching his face and you can see like in his head, he's going oh, through it. Yeah. He's like, yep, we're all going to die. He had a little twinkle. Yeah, a little sort of like, it's a twitch. What saying too that um, Chad Michael Murray is always like, listen to me, believe me. We are not going to die. <laughs> At that point, they're one hundred percent going to die. Yeah, not entirely convincing, I must admit. That's the role that uh, Kirk Cameron played, by the way, in the original version. He didn't play the role of uh, Ray Steele. Yeah, so he doesn't get raptured. No, well, I mean, it would be a very short role. He wouldn't really be the hero of the series. No, it'd be like Steven Seagal. Is that <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Did Steven Seagal get raptured? Yeah, in uh, in Executive Decision. <laughs> I love that every movie is now secretly a rapture movie, including like Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Um, um, yeah, the, like, um, what's his... Um, was... Uh, did, did Sean Connery at the end of The Rock get, get raptured? raptured. <laughs> um, it is noting, actually, just in terms of... Sorry in terms of the original film and in terms of the novel, this film doesn't actually adapt the full first novel. Hmm. This film only adapts, I think, the first half or first two-thirds of the first novel in the series. Oh, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, it kind of ended on a a very pointed cliffhanger. Yeah, it's like... through (laughs) the apocalypse and all that sort of stuff and the seven years. Yeah, and you have, like, the little camera shot of the three of them holding hands. You only end on the point where they're like... Um, uh, another another pan-continental airways flight landed on time thank you for choosing and they're like oh we're sorry we have to play that Um, (laughs) it's just it's just obligatory at this point it is worth noting that like uh they made several changes to the film and it's interesting to notice some of those changes were designed to sort of downplay some of the more extremist um aspects of the book the writers who I talked about, Jenkins and Latoya, uh, sorry, Lahea, um, both believe that the United Nations and the Euro are harbingers of the apocalypse and a sign of the beast. Um, that's that was their official state of position in the year two thousand. Um, but like the novels themselves actually feature, um, and this is in this is in the part of the story that's covered by this film. An obscure Romanian politician named Nikolai Carpathia arises to become the most powerful leader on the planet. His popular (laughs) message of unity, we must disarm, we must empower the United Nations, we must move to one currency, and we must become a global village, eventually wins him control of all government, media, and institutional religion. He is named the sexiest man alive by people. <laughs> he appoints a new pope. A lot of Catholics were confused. This is a direct quote from the book. A lot of Catholics were it would confused. Be. Yeah. Because while <laughs> many remained. The sexiest man in the world has appointed our new pope. <laughs> while many remained, some had disappeared, including the new pope, who had just been installed a few months before the vanishings. He had stirred up controversy in the Catholic Church 
with a new doctrine that seemed to coincide more with the quote-unquote heresy of Martin Luther than with the historical orthodoxy the Catholic Church was used to. So I love that God raptured the Pope because he started making Catholicism more like Protestantism. (laughs) It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Oh, so he wouldn't have raptured the Pope if the Pope uh, was uh, kept uh, on, like, if the Pope was a Roman Catholic. Yeah, apparently. That's one of the uh, only, like, like there's only two um, criteria that you need to satisfy to be Pope. You need to be male. You need to be a Roman Catholic. But they had a, they, they had a Protestant Pope. A Pope uh, whose doc, his doctrine seemed to coincide more with the heresy. Of Martin of Luther, Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is very much in keeping this. It's worth noting, by the way, that the um, the the industry around this is apparently worth seven billion dollars. Um, they estimate that the whole Catholic sort of, uh, or the, sorry, not the whole Catholic, the whole Christian um, sort of entertainment industry has a value of worth seven, worth around seven million seven billion dollars. I, I was at a Christian cookout one time when I was over there in 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 the states. It was great. We got invited over for a barbecue, and we thought like. What could, what possible catch could there be? <laughs> we get to eat food. I think I was the only one who got properly hijacked, but it was brilliant because they had like escalating stories of how they had been saved. One of a person was just like, "I used to drive full. Um, I used to drive so fast. All I wanted to do was drive in my car. I loved that car until one night I was driving, and my car stopped, and a child walked out in front, and I knew at that." Uh, point in time that i've been saved by jesus some other guy comes in that's nothing i was in prison <laughs> and it was like and then there was one guy who had been saved by a combination of jesus and karate it was like sort of grace of jesus and the discipline of karate <laughs> came together <laughs> yeah i mean it is it is worth noting that jenkins and la have talked about getting like letters from death row inmates who claim to have been converted by the left behind series and famously, for the eighth book in the series, one of those death mate inmates was scheduled to be executed before the book was published. So they arranged to have him sent a copy of the proof so that he could read it before he was executed. Oh, they didn't rearrange the whole death thing. No. No, they didn't. Never mind that. Um, it's worth noting, by the way, that... He's uh, going to murder heaven. <laughs> <laughs> in 19- With Richard Harrow. In 1998, Jenkins and LaHaye launched a series of special Left Behind Books for Children, aged 10 to 14, a CD of music inspired by the books called People Get Ready, has been moving fast at uh, Evangelical Forefront Records. Six more adult novels were supposed to be, this is in 2000, were scheduled to be written by 2003, in which case the series would conclude with The Glorious Appearing, in which Jesus Christ himself would return and cast judgment upon the characters of the books. And kick a little person down the stairs. <laughs> Possibly. Um, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> are we going to talk about that? I guess we did. Or is it the same? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's very much it's very much in the style. Of, you can tell that this was made by people who had watched brutal, other movies, but yeah. it was um, like uh, comic relief, I guess, yeah. or like justice or something. Well, this is the thing. This has clearly been like movies that are made by. You people. were supposed to enjoy that. I think so. Yeah, because it, it's movies made by people who have seen other movies, and they clearly have in mind that this character is going to be like the the William Atherton, like from Die Hard character in this film, where you're gonna hate this dude. Because he's like an obnoxious jerk to kids. 
He's very smart now. He's like hides behind other characters and people are brandishing guns. And he's obnoxious. He keeps butting in. So when you see him get kicked down the slide at the end, I think you're meant to root for the other character and not for him. At least that's how I think the film was pitching it. Andy doesn't look like I, he's uh, entirely convinced. I don't convinced. know. I mean, like, if you're going to have a little person in your film, maybe don't make him the comic relief. Yeah. I, yeah. Or have several little people in your film and make one of them the yeah. comic relief. And have others as well-rounded characters. No, I, like, I, I'm not endorsing How about this. some well-rounded characters <laughs> at all, please? <laughs> That's fair. You mean you didn't think that Captain Ray Steele, it was very much... Uh... I mean, Captain Ray Steele was as rounded as Nicolas Cage. Could physically make him. I mean, he's as rounded as Nicolas Cage <laughs> as in a, real life. As a human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so is there anything else we want to talk about this movie? Anything that we haven't discussed already? What do, what do we think of his wig? Wait, whose wig? Nicholas Cage's. Oh, I thought that was his John Cusack hair. I thought That's that was just with the, lots of product in it. So I thought his, that he'd borrow he took like his scalp. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought it was like like Hattie. How you can tell that Hattie the stewardess is a bad person is because she wears clothes that are clearly at least one size too small, but also has a lot of product in her hair. I felt like there was a moment when Buck kind of looks at Hattie the stewardess and it's kind of um and it, it becomes apparent um to the audience that he's already forgotten about about the daughter Chloe that he's just met. But then we <laughs> discover later that it's just the actor. Who, oh, yeah. <laughs> Very was, easily distracted on yeah, set. Yeah, yeah. Forgot he was in a movie. <laughs> wow, there, are there are beautiful and, women yeah. all around me. There was there was one point I can't not mention Nicolas Cage's I ain't got time to bleed line. <laughs> yes. Like, aren't you, aren't you scared? Captain Ray Steele. Like, I'll be scared when I have time. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. And again, I love how much mileage they get out of the fact they only had Cage on like three different sets. Because um, I mean, there's the bit at the start where he's conversing with Chloe and he bangs his fist on the table. And again, this is one that of those... That scene is great. Yeah. It's one of those moments <laughs> where you... worth a million itself. Well, that's the thing where you realise that like how outclassed the rest of the cast is by Cage. Because you can tell that it's like, I'm going to give you something this scene. I want you to react to it naturally. And it's like, so he bangs his fist on the table. And, you know, it's, it's not full cage. It's like, you know, 30% cage. <laughs> but she's, she reacts to it as if it's 100% cage. Oh, yeah. She's like out of her chair. And he's like, sorry, honey, I didn't mean to scare you. And then, yeah, he has his like kind of head in his hands. And it's like, you're not wearing a ring. It's like, oh, ring. Oh, I don't wear it when I fly. <laughs> and then he just kind of, you know, gets up to leave. Like, okay, explain that. <laughs> Quite well. Perfect lying then. Gets caught in the instruments. <laughs> yeah, it interferes with the magnetic signals. Yeah. Um, they didn't teach you that at your Ivy League school. By the way, yes, it's very telling that Chloe clearly attended an Ivy League school. Uh, yeah, she's a liberal. She's one of those liberals. No. UCA. Yep, there we go. Um, but yeah, and also, is it worth noting that Chloe is very much the Kim Bauer of this particular film? Yeah, or the um, the daughter from True Lies. Oh, and the Alicia Dushka. I think Dushka had more to do in True Lies. She got fired off a rocket, didn't she? Yeah. Nice. Whereas, <laughs> whereas this movie is just like, well, we're just going to cut back to her wandering around. She does have a she has a 
bloody good wonder. She has a very good one. There's, um, a, re- there's a, a really good run at the end. I absolutely love the sequence where after she gets the phone call from the long absent father who may or may not be the Lord God himself in the person of Nicholas Cage. That's an exactly. Yeah. Before it, she got to that motorbike, because it doesn't seem anywhere near the bridge. No, and she's not she out of breath at all or yeah. not sweaty or anything like that. I do love the little lingering shot the camera gives you of the bike, like the helmet and the she gear on the ground. doesn't pick up the gal- helmet either, because she's a... Uh, I don't like know. Helmets are for she's dead. A, yeah, well, the hel- <laughs> uh, Yeah. What's I, God going to do? <laughs> Kill me? <laughs> what, did that, what did that Christian need to wear a helmet for anyway? <laughs> but, um, yeah. And again, I love that it clearly he had stopped the bike in the middle of nowhere. Because it isn't like the bike was crashed into a wall and the kind of the suit was thrown everywhere. But yeah, it. it and <laughs> That's what happens to that guy in um, Terminator. He's like, I need your suit. Yeah, that's a rapture film too. Your boot, your jacket, and your motorcycle. Every, and then he just gets raptured. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Arnie's like, this is very convenient. Um, but it turns out it's the wrong size. But uh, the thing with uh, yeah. And even the bit at the end where she's clearing the runway. Like, oh, she cleared nine tenths of a mile. Because <laughs> that's how people talk. But, but only a single straight line of it because she was driving a truck. So it's like the front wheel of the plane. I don't think she perfectly... should have. I don't think she should have cleared it either. Because well, I think it all, yeah, all of that. Uh, rub, uh, like, um, she stuff. probably could have spent more effort moving the explosive truck at the she very probably, end. Yeah, she probably could have blown that up. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, the flare let that be the thing. The second, the second <laughs> film in this series is all about that steamroller she just sat to drive itself <laughs> and all the crazy adventures it has along the way well i mean that, that's the thing is and again this speaks to how poorly directed the film is in terms of like even individual shot choices right so you have the way that scene is set up you have a giant flaming sort of signal you have a big explosion you've got the plane coming down over it right the shot that you are clearly building to is the plane coming through the fire like a head-on shot. Like, sort of like a big epic heroes moment. And if you're very good, you get a shot of Nicolas Cage going full cage in the cockpit. His gelled hair sort of shaking as he comes through the flames. Oddly enough, when the plane is taking off from New York, it starts playing like the Danger Zone. Yes. Kind of music. Like, he's just, he's like raising up the, the uh, throttle and it's going, but down, but down, but down, down. Yeah. Well, this is just a, like a guy doing his job. Like, but this is having to be an incredibly sexy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and again, if we're talking about bad direction, things like the sequence where uh, Buck and Chloe are flirting in inverted commas in the airport. And like for no reason, a bunch of kids wander through the middle of their conversation. And it's not like you could do it where it could be like a cute joke. And it's like they're trying to talk, but the kids keep on coming. But it's not long enough to do that. It's poor editing. Yeah, it's very, very poor editing. There's something, there's something kind of like wrong with the, with the editing and so much of it. And the tempo, but it's the cross cutting. It's the, um, or the moment where like she walks up to the, like the priest in their family church, their family priest. And she's like, then why are you still here? 
and cut immediately back to the the plane. And you can tell again, this is like people have watched movies, <laughs> so it's so it's like they know that like you cut to build tension, and you have like things that are the same but they're happening in different places, and you can cut between them and get a full story. So while that's happening, Venice Baxter, who is a great name again, <laughs> up on the plane is discussing how when she went to Bible camp. Oh, Bible camp. Which very handily provided all necessary... All the kids were talking about it. Yeah. It was all arranged. Hey, have you heard about this thing? The kids are calling it the rapture. <laughs> but yeah, um, so and again, you, again, this is one of those things where you can tell the person watching has watched a movie before, doesn't know how to make one, though. Uh, honestly, I mean, I'll give this guy as much grief as you care to, but I... I feel like this could be a film I would accidentally make one day. Like I've, yeah. I if I wrote this script, I'd probably be really proud of it. Aww. Like not not because I'm a Christian, but because you made a film. But I oh my god, I made a film. What? How many people can I'd do that? I'd be more proud if I was the crank guy, though. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who made crank. Um, it is worth noting, by the way, that Cage has... Um, Cage says that one of the reasons he did it was because he worked with Armstrong. But also, he was convinced by his brother, who is a minister. Ah. Who said to him, Nick, you gotta do this. It's amazing. It's big. And when Nicholas Cage... It's great when you read interviews with him about this. Because all the question comes up is, are you a believer, Mr. Cage? What do you do to the project? Do you believe in the rapture? And he's always talking about things like, uh, you know, he talks about how... Uh, how do you make such an extraordinary set of circumstances authentic? And how you make it real? That was a tremendous challenge. We had to play it almost cinema verite in that this was really happening. We're believing in this situation and we need to convey that to the audience. I've always been attracted to movies that weren't afraid to venture into the unknown. So I love that he's like pitching this as an experimental sort of film. It's like, <laughs> so what was your approach to this? Are you a true believer? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in the rapture? Like, no, I thought about what would happen if it actually happened, man. Like, how weird would that be? What's real? Yeah, what's, how you make that real for the audience? <laughs> um, try acting, dear boy. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's, that's the, the famous Laurence Olivier quote. You know that uh, Cage has talked about his method as well, actually. He's used, he describes his approach to acting as a combination of German expressionist, Western Kabuki, and nouveau shamanistic acting. Uh, and he says, basically, I can do photorealism. We had a friend who was a shaman, didn't we? It's like, I've had a lot of remember, shaman friends in my time. A shaman friend here say, did I tell you that I was a shaman? I'm a shaman. I'm a shaman. Um, yes. So we he was a, an unashamed shaman. We had a very good friend. And he he was he was in a um, an exhibition center, and um, uh, some kind of visiting tribe from like Indonesia or something had seen him on the other side and wouldn't speak to anyone else. Just went straight for him, and had recognized him as another shaman. And then there was the woman who couldn't who couldn't see that he had a beard because she had a fear of beards, but he was a shaman, so was able to shapeshift. Yeah, oh, he's, he's a he's a shapeshifter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I missed the shaman bit, and I just heard the shapeshifter. It was great. Yeah. So I, yeah, so that that's how Nicolas Cage approaches acting in the same way as well. He says, "I can do photorealism, but I wanted to let it be known that acting can break forms and hark back to something else. 
I'm a big fan of artistic synchronicity. When you do one form in another, like when I did Munch's Scream in Ghost Rider, he says, pulling the aforementioned face, not natural, but truthful. Not crazy for craziness' sake. That's how Nicolas Cage approaches acting. I also have a lengthier quote here on how he goes. Go for the lengthiest quote you can find. <laughs> I love yeah, do him. It. Are we ready for the, for the full cage quote? So this is how he describes his process of going full cage, right? <laughs> the process is an interesting one now that has kind of been developing over many years. It's one that requires a bit of imagination, but in this case, possibly more feeling of going internal and prepping by kind of trying to plunge my own internal body, if you will, or whatever words I can go towards memory and life experience. And then I'll sort of get something, find something that breaks my heart, and I won't share it with anybody. It's a secret that only I have. It's a secret that's going to be shared with the audience, and hopefully everyone in the audience will have an individual connection to it. It's not something I can easily describe, but it is something that I surf with. I feel it throughout the day, knowing they're going to get to that point. Knowing we're getting closer to, let's call it 5.30pm in Belgium. And I know in about 30 minutes, Panos is going to call action. And now I'm 10 minutes into it. And now I'm surfing the emotion again. And I feel it in my fingertips. And I feel it in my throat. And then I let it go. Because I don't want to leave it in the locker room. Now we're 10 minutes out. And then we're 5 minutes out. And then I go into a trance. And it's very, very quiet. I don't let anyone get in my face. I go somewhere in a corner, or wherever it is, and I start psyching up. Now we're two minutes out. Now we're one minute out. And we're going. We're going. It's Jew. Going. And then it's time. And then there's two. And then it's They're action. They're like buses. <laughs> and then it's like, end the gate. Here it goes. Whatever happens, happens. It's on. I'm not thinking about it. It's just a feeling. A lightning rod. A rush. I don't know where I am. I don't know that I'm not faking it. I know that it's not. I know that it's embarrassing. I know that it's naked. <laughs> and I know that it's uncomfortable, but it's coming out. And that usually has oh, God. something to do. <laughs> and it usually has something to do with some kind of heartbreak somewhere in my past. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> my new favorite Nick quote, Nick quote: "I am not a demon. I am a lizard, a shark, a heat-seeking panther. I want to be Bob Denver on acid." Playing the accordion. <laughs> Nicholas Cage is amazing. He has, like again, we'll put some interviews in the in the show notes as well that are very worth checking out. There's one that he does with an, with a journalist from the Guardian, and the journalist from the Guardian like offhandedly mentions that he'd memorized some of Cage's monologues from like Peggy Sue got married when he was a teenager in the eighties. And Cage proceeds to force the journalist in the middle of a crowded restaurant, particularly in front of the two serving staff who are standing at the table, stand up and deliver the monologue to him. As the journalist does this, stands up, gets halfway through the monologue, Cage joins him halfway through the monologue, takes over, and just goes, that was amazing. I really felt it. You really brought it back, man. Uh, which is just amazing, isn't it? He's my favourite. See, I feel like this has been a nice sort of celebration of Nicolas Cage, maybe even if the movie itself wasn't quite up to the the highlights are the peaks that we would like to associate with he the wasn't what well, was wrong with this at all <laughs> no cage is probably the best part of it to be honest yeah like there the um there was there wasn't there wasn't that much like crazy cage stuff in it no like you hear that this is a cage movie on the bottom 100 
and you have a kind of an idea of it being a normal movie that he comes into and <laughs> just takes yeah. over and so devours yeah. uh, in this because he's a lizard a shark he just asks can I see King Panther <laughs> hey, uh, yeah he's like hey um, director can I make crazy choices well you know that when he was on no Nick no. <laughs> you know that when he was on uh, Bad Lieutenant Portocol New Orleans with, yeah with uh, Werner, Werner Herzog Do you, have you heard this story no 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 I, I knew that they did uh, a movie that movie together, together. Yeah. yeah apparently specifically he, that one he scared Werner Herzog he he, he frightens me <laughs> like like Klaus Kinski oh yeah but that was apparently a moment for Cage. It was when apparently somebody told him that Werner Herzog was worried about him. And he was like, oh, okay, I better rein this in, I think. <laughs> <laughs> if even Werner Herzog is worried about me, we've probably gone a little bit too far. Uh, but is there anything else we want to discuss? Anything we haven't discussed already with sort of left behind? Anything that's jumping out at people? Anything that we'd like to talk about? A particular scene, character, beat, moment? No, I'm, I feel like maybe if I sleep on this film... I'll, I'll realize it was the best film I've, ever I've made. Thirty third worst movie of all time, apparently. Thirty third. Wow, it's yeah. it's quite um, it's quite revived. Do you know? Do you know our um, our Beauty and the Beast was the thirty seventh most uh, popular uh, Beauty and the Beast themed episode of a podcast released <laughs> in early January twenty eighteen uh, on on online. There were there were. Um, keep it in mind, some of those were audio books Reading of Beauty, uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So we were competing Ooh. against the very pure yeah. source. There were, there were a lot of Disney podcasts as well, which I don't think we, we after there Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, are officially, yeah, we're are done. unofficially, we're, uh, done. we're done. We're done. We don't have any more uh, Disney movies to talk about. We do have Pixar movies to talk about yeah. and Marvel movies to talk about. And Star Wars movies to talk about, but we don't know any like official sort of Disney animated movies to talk about. But yeah, you you can you can say to your friends now, Andy, that you you had the thirty seventh most popular um, uh, episode of a podcast with the with the words "Beauty and the Beast" in the title. It beat out um, the um, um, uh, uh, thank thank you for being a podcast. Um, a podcast episode about the episode of uh, Golden Girls um, <laughs> called Beauty and the Beast. That's the Golden Girls uh, um, podcast called Thank You for Being a Podcast. I'm I'm etching. Oh, actually, no, sorry, it just got passed out by the um, <laughs> Thank You for yeah, Being for a Podcast. You. Yeah, I'm etching this fact into my forearm with a pen, so I'll it's never not forget. real. Was it? It's a trip. What does she write on her hand? It's not. I think it was. It's, it's not, not real. real yeah. yeah. Again, very millenniumistic. Um, again, reflecting the fact that these books were written in 1995 and coming up to the millennium and all those sort of fears. But it's okay because I'm not going to go off on one of those tangents now. We're no. Right <laughs> um, but anyway, so if people want to hear more Andy, a bit more Andrew in their lives. Where can they find you guys online? I no longer have an online presence. Eloquent Bear. Oh, I thought right? you have an Eloquent Bear. Well, Eloquent Bear exists, but I haven't even looked at the webpage since I mentioned it when I was on here last year. So this is unbearable. I'm sorry, and I'm sorry for that pun as well. Uh, well why would you be sorry for that pun? <laughs> you got, you got. Don't apologize on my behalf. <laughs> hey, but... I mean, I'll I'll write you guys a short story if you want, and I'll put oh. it online. Do yeah about um 
Isn't there isn't there a movie about um a podcaster who um something terrible happened? It's oh, the, the you're guy, the walrus. Yeah, the guy from um, Justin Long is, and obviously Johnny Depp is in there as well. Oh no, and Michael no. Parks. Who and, am I thinking of? I'm 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 thinking of the kid from um, The Sixth Sense. Oh, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, he's the yeah. other. He's the supporting. He's the supporting. Oh, okay. Guy. Justin Long's right, guy. Right. Happens to. It's also worth noting that the new Halloween movie also has two true crime podcasters who show up in order to get brutally murdered very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah, podcasting's a growth industry. Zach Braff did a TV show about it. Um, yeah. So this is this is where we are now. Okay, I will definitely write a podcast theme story and publish it online. Just what? for you. You guys. make it sound like. Uh, oh, no, we'll no. be in the TV show of your of your short story. You guys can play yourselves. No, you can play each other. Oh. Yeah. That's and good. It'll it'll be it'll be all art house, where like it'll be one of those really avant garde directors who puts really bad actors <laughs> in because it's you more mean like real. Nick Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um. All right, actually, is there something you'd like to recommend for listeners then? I mean, maybe something you'd like to sort of draw Ooh. their attention to, something that you think is worthy of celebration. Might just might give you a moment to think about that and ask Andrew if he has something he'd like to recommend. Um, I would, if 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 you're looking for um, have some Christianity, you can go to A-Q-U-I-N-N-I-U-Q-A on That's Twitter. That's Thomas Aquinas's. Yeah, Twitter yeah, feed, right? where you can follow um, kind of uh, uh, Christian insights and... Um, Kind of uh, uh, thoughts for the day. They um, on on a more serious note, um, I quite like the um, the mission. Um, is 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 a movie that um, if um, actually anybody, presumably people that like this movie don't like good movies. Um, I would argue that the mission is a good movie. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I think it's I think it's a good. It's a Roland Joffe. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful movie. I think the score is is the score is probably the thing that it's best known for because it has the the Ennio Morricone score, but it's also kind of like Jeremy Irons and uh, Robert De Niro. Uh, Robert De Niro and a very young um, Liam Neeson in there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's um, yeah, I I I used to consider it my favorite movie. All right, I'll go triple prong on recommendations. So I'll say, um, if you are looking for a good movie about things that are themes that are Christian, uh, I'd probably go with, say, the cin- I'd recommend the cinema of Martin Scorsese. Um, so he, Scorsese's returned time and time again to these themes in his work, uh, most obviously in films like The Last Temptation of the Christ, but even recently in films like Silence, which is not one of his best films, but which I have a huge soft spot for, soft spot for because it kind of uh, deals with themes of faith and belief and stuff like that. If you're looking for a bit of cage in your life, because um, who doesn't need more cage? Um, I would recommend Mom and Dad, uh, which we mentioned earlier in the podcast. I'd uh, recommend Whatever Happened to Peggy Sue as well. Actually. actually, yes, which is one of his first films with Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. Um, and if you're lo- if you liked the premise of the movie that we just discussed, Left Behind, in which like you know a certain percentage of the world's population just disappears without any warning whatsoever, and people are kind of left behind trying to figure out what to make sense of it, I would recommend The Leftovers. Actually. Uh, which is the HBO TV show, uh, which ran for three seasons. It's over now. They're each eight episodes each, so they can be sort of uh, Max Richter score, yeah, score. Uh, yeah. fantastic cast, including Justin Thoreau, uh, Kerry Coon is amazing in it. Christopher Eccleston is fantastic. Uh, the supporting cast is great as well. It's written by uh, Damon Lindelof, 
who is probably controversial because of his involvement Lost. in Lost, to pick yeah. an example. But he's also show running the new Watchmen series for HBO as well. Oh. Uh, I think The Leftovers is one of the best TV shows of the past decade. I don't say that lightly, so I would wholeheartedly wow, recommend okay. checking that out. Um, if you are interested in sort of media that touches on the themes of this, you can even imagine that this is like a sidequel to the leftovers. In case people aren't familiar, <laughs> so you the... could probably do have a lot of people clicking on it on Netflix, thinking that it is a food program. Because <laughs> I sometimes I'm hungry, but I don't want to go downstairs. So I'll just watch food on Netflix instead. <laughs> this is like I'll watch the Pit Masters or something. Yeah. And somehow that makes you less hungry? That makes you full? Um, it reminds me, was you supposed to your mustache? I, 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 I have very good gustative imagination. I can eat I can eat imaginary sandwiches. Which would make you wonder why do we eat so much actual food? Mainly because <laughs> when, I give when, it to you apparently. When I could be Yeah, yeah, I guess that's why. You are a feeder. <laughs> yeah. Emotionally and physically. But Andy, sorry, if you have anything you would like to recommend. Oh man. Um my my show lately is Legion. Oh, great. Which I love so hard. Me and my partner at home and our dog and our cat. Aww. We were in love with this show. This is the Noah Hawley guy, the guy who did mm-hmm. um, Fargo. And it stars yeah. What's-His-Face from Downton Abbey. Yeah, um, exactly. And all those other faces yes. from things. Uh, it's brilliant. And if you haven't seen it, then you're it's well trippy. Behind. It's it's beautiful. It's actually oh, physically amazing. It's the visuals on it. Like there was this episode we saw the other week where like it was all done in still frames. Like, so, like, uh, the silent the silent one was it the, ye- the, the is it the first season or second season where the second half of one of the episodes is a silent movie? Oh my basically. god, no, that that's brilliant too. But no, this one was like um they go to the time between time. Ah, okay. And so every five seconds it updates to a new picture. Yeah. And it's, ah. it's just beautiful. Um, also, I'm in other media. I'm on a huge Brené Brown kick at the moment. I, I watched her Netflix special. I heard her on another podcast recently. And I listened to one of her audiobooks on my way over here on the plane. And I find her very refreshing. She's like the anti-Jordan Peterson. And her name again? Brené Brown. Brené Brown. Brené Brown. We'll include that in the show notes as well. Worth noting that while you were reading it, you weren't raptured though, were you? I was not raptured. (laughs) Wait, you confirmed that for the audience. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um, so thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Thank Uh, you, Andy. Love you guys. You can follow the podcast on Earth250. You can listen to us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a review uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher, anywhere like that. It helps sort of get the word out. Subscribe. Yeah, uh, hit us up. uh, I've told you before how in the actual real world, I um, uh, met somebody who had been recommended to listen to this podcast by a friend. Wow. Nobody that we know. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I um like I mean I look at the stats and people who listen to us and we're not huge. We're not we're not like a big podcast or anything like that. But I'm surprised that people listen to us, which is probably not something I should admit at the end of especially a podcast. At th- <laughs> especially at this point. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think anyone has, has made it this far. No. Uh, but if you have, thank you very much, guys. We actually really, really do appreciate Tweet us. Leave us a review. What should they say in the review? Well, something nice. Um, but no, I mean, yeah. If Love we... Andy. Bring back Andy. Yeah, more Andy Mellowish, <laughs> the please. the Rob Shrub of this podcast. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week. Bye. 
See you next week. See you next time. See you every time on the 250. I wish we'd all.